Anyway, if you have your Bibles, be turning to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We're going to continue our, our sermon series, Reflecting on Reality, a study of the seven realities of HBF. HBF stands for Heartland Baptist Fellowship, which is the church that you're in. If you do not know that right now, you might need some help. But at any rate, uh, we're in Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. But if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. Turn to page 1,468. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we started our seven realities. Well, it was actually not last Sunday. It's two Sundays ago. We started our our, uh, our seven realities sermon series. And the first reality of HBF was that real or authentic people must be found in real churches, right? And so what that really means, if we're not genuinely saved, we're not genuinely going to have any uh, impact on this world. And so we saw that God wants us all people to be represented in his body because he died for everyone. Everyone is wanted, everybody's welcome, and everyone is one. And so you guys see on the screen your beautiful faces up there. That is HBF, and uh, it represents our church. Our first reality is what allows us to live in the reality of eternal life instead of a fantasy. Last week we talked about how so many today are slipping into a fantasy world of confusion and condemnation, and uh, the love of God meets all men everywhere where they are at, to offer the forgiveness of sin and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we saw last week that Jesus didn't come to the earth because people were seeking him. That's really not at all the case. He came because the Father sent him to seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. That's the reality. He came seeking us. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man uh, is is, uh, come to seek and save that which is lost. Luke five thirty one through 32 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So God is needing or is looking for uh, the redemption of sinners. If you are unwilling, if we are unwilling to identify first as that, we're going to have a hard time understanding what it is to be a son of God. Romans chapter 3 tells us in verse 10, As it is written, there's none righteous you know some would say well i'm okay well the bible says there's none righteous no not one there is none that understand it there is none that seeketh after god so that's just not that's not me saying it there there really is not a seeker sensitive situation where lost sinners are seeking god uh god is calling men god is drawing men and so if you're being drawn to christ you better pay attention because that's the holy spirit of god uh, convicting your heart and showing you your need for him the Bible goes on to say they are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So that's the bad news. Romans 3.23, there's even more bad news, but it comes uh, with some good news in Romans 6.23. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And so that's all. All is all. The good news is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ, and that's all kind of just a review for most of us. Jesus Christ came seriously to save sinners that's why he came the father sent him because he loved the world and wanted sinners to be saved so if we're going to be successful in accomplishing the great commission we must be real and authentic people uh, and meet people where they live right we have to be willing to cross those boundaries so what makes all men common in our need for the savior is is our sin and uh, that is why everyone is welcome and wanted and by god's grace ultimately won now, we know that not every person will be one to Christ, but it should be our heart, right, to see everybody uh, welcome, wanted, and one to the Lord Jesus. So the church will not win people by marketing Christian uh, culture. Uh, as a matter of fact, we will, if that's the, the method, the church will become increasingly, increasingly an echo chamber and market to itself. 
because technology will ensure that. So we have to be creative. We have to understand the context in which we live today so that we can connect with people intentionally, or it will not happen because the, the algorithms are not set up for you to cross cultural boundaries effectively. So you're going to have to find, and I'm going to have to find another way to do it. And the good old way to do it is, is personal interaction. That's what people are starving for. That's what people are lacking. And that's what we're, we're going to turn, how we turn people's fantasies into reality and understand that they're living in a vortex that's going to send them to hell. Right? Remember the rich man in Luke 16? He thought everything was good until he died. Right? God forbid. I hope nobody has that kind of of delusion going on. Uh, so what what liberty God has given us to engage the gospel personally so that we can lead individuals into the reality of a relationship with the living God? Now, that's not a really uh, earth-shattering statement. We, we understand it. We know it. But interestingly enough, the culture is getting further and further away from that. So it's, it is earth-shattering to just do what we know we're supposed to do, which is build personal relationships and share the gospel with people. Okay, so we're ready now to move on to the second reality. That really is just kind of a rehash of the, the thrust of what we've been talking about in the previous two weeks. So, so now we're going to move to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, let's look there in Acts chapter 11. And, uh, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if you, if you can, if you have an ailment, please don't. But if you can stand one more time, you're going to think you're in the Catholic Church today. All right, so uh, just stand. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Um, this is good on your quads. All right, so Acts 11, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 19 and pick up the text. Now, just as we're getting ourselves acclimated here, this is, uh, last week I told you about Cornelius, I told you about Peter. This is following that. God is still moving in the Gentile world. Uh, Peter has gone back to Jerusalem, Judea. He's gotten some flack from the Jews, and he recounts his story to them, and they're like, oh, wow, you should have told us, and so he did. So now everybody's on board with God taking the gospel of the Gentiles, and we pick it up in verse 19. And it says, now they which were scattered abroad, notice they were scattered abroad. There was a scattering upon the persecution that arose about Stephen that traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which <clears throat> when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they that <coughs> sent forth Barnabas, and that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he was come and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it was come to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which uh, came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, uh, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you for the nuggets that are hidden in every chapter, every verse of your Bible. 
And Lord, we, I pray now as we get into the text and we exposit this, that the Holy Spirit of God would teach us all things whatsoever you have said to us, that you would lead your church, Lord, that you would remind us that you have forgiven us of all sin. Lord, not some sin, but all sin. Lord, you have died on the cross to cover our, our sins, and now we are uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ and covered, as the Bible says, in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, he is our atoning sacrifice. And so, Lord, we're no longer lost. We're no longer without hope. We're no longer without Christ. But we are, the Bible says, sons of God. And, Lord, may we be faithful. May we add to the body as they did in, in this text. Lord, and may we be disciples that take the gospel forward. Lord, may we, be, may we be real Christians that accomplish your mission and your power for your glory. May we reflect diversity, reproduce spiritually, and respond cheerfully. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so in this text, many of you will notice that in verse 26, uh, that's the first time in the Bible the word Christian is used. It's, it was obviously early on in the church. So the, the, the name, the moniker we go by, Christian, is something that was initially an insult, right? Because it was telling these, these people were acting. Well, who were they acting like? Christ, right? They were acting like Christ. And that's why, we, that's why, we, that's why we're called Christians, right? We, we're little Christ. And that was meant to be an insult, but it really wasn't an insult. Of course, we just took, Christians just took that on and said, what a compliment, you know, because the Bible is very clear that we are to be like Christ. So real Christians, right, if we're, this is reality number two, real Christians are Christ-like. Real Christians are Christ-like. That is our second reality. Real Christians are Christ-like, and they reflect diversity. Now, uh, just again, going back to the beginning of the Acts, uh, chapter 11, uh, after Peter had preached uh, in, in Caesarea and uh, returned to Judea. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11, And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Can you believe that? Not everybody was happy that someone that didn't look like them, talk like them, or think like them became a Christian. That's amazing that they, these people were against that. But they contended with Peter, the Bible says, uh, saying, Thou wentest into um, the uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Their issue was not that he went and shared the, the, the words of eternal life, the, the word of God, the bread of life, right? They were worried about, hey, man, did, did, you eat, did you eat any unclean things? I mean, did they do the ceremonial washing before you ate up there? I mean, did you keep all the rules? I'm afraid not, Peter. And so they had a problem with Peter. And so and so, uh, the diversity was a problem. The diversity of the body. God was, he'd already called it, right? We know, we know God had called it in Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, John 3, 16, Jesus. God loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. So as we look in the rearview mirror through the last 2,000 years, well, we know all that. But if you put yourself in the first century and think about it from their perspective... They knew it up here, but God had some work to do to get it down here. And that's where we're not much different. From the moment you get saved, God is doing a work in your heart, and that is to challenge you to go beyond your comfort zone, to reach out to people that are not like you, the people that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So point A, real Christians reflect diversity by crossing cultural boundaries. In 2006, um, I didn't even need to make a clarification about what diversity meant. But today, I will make a quick clarification. When we speak of diversity, we're talking about ethnic diversity, right? Not, not a fantasy of, of uh, hybrid genders and, and species, right? So I'm not talking about, you know, the culture that you think you're a man 
when you're a woman or you think you're... Okay, that's not a culture. That is crazy. It's called gender dysphoria. And so uh, that in itself, we can reach crazy people and we should reach them as well. And so, uh, and so but when, here we see that there's, there's people groups. Ever since um, uh, <clears throat> the, the Tower of Babel, all the people groups of the world have been dispersed. God intentionally confused the languages to keep them from destroying themselves. And so it was a measure that he has used. And it wasn't until Pentecost when the apostles uh, 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 were speaking there in Jerusalem that suddenly everyone could hear in their own language. Why? Because it was a sign to the Jews that indeed uh, Christ was the Messiah for sure, but also these men that were just common men were his representatives. They were his ambassadors, and they should listen. And many did. And that brings us to where we are in Acts chapter 11. Uh, And God wanted them to cross some boundaries. He wanted them to cross some boundaries. So uh, real Christians realize they don't need or they don't have a copyright on the Great Commission. They don't have a copyright on the Great Commission. And so the Jews at Jerusalem thought that they had a corner on the gospel. I mean, ethnically, they uh, obviously Jesus came to his own. I mean, no doubt about it, Jesus was Jewish. And it, it troubled some of, the, some of the Jews that perhaps some of the influence and the power of this salvation message was now in the hands of people who didn't have their pedigree religiously, didn't have their ethnicity, uh, not, not their skin color, because Jews are not defined by skin color, by the way. Uh, it was their ethnicity as a Jew. And they were like, man, uh, that makes us uncomfortable. Peter, what were you doing up there uh, preaching to those Gentiles? And so Peter has to tell the story that, hey, guys, we don't have a copyright on this thing. God gave it to us to give freely to everyone. right? They, they, if we don't do this, uh, he'll do it without us. And so many of the Jewish believers refused to fulfill the Great Commission. Pride is the heart of those who contend. Notice that the word contend is in verse 2 of Acts chapter 11. They were contending. When you think, when I think of contending, I think of somebody who's in a boxing match, man. I think of, you know, Iron Mike. I dates myself once again. And, uh, you know, that guy's looking older than I am. I think he is older than I am. That's okay. So, uh, but, but uh, those, those contenders, right, UFC guys, right, you always, they always are promoting the contenders, and they try to get that fight matched up. And a contender is someone that you're fighting against. There's people here fighting against God's will. And, and so the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13.10, for those of you at the marriage conference, Brad brought this up, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Right? They needed some advisement. Right? And so actually in a text, we'll see that Peter's going to do that here in just a moment. Uh, the command is to teach all nations, and literally it means all all people groups. Nations means people groups. It doesn't just mean, you know, geographical borders. Like Ukraine's a hot spot right now. In that hot spot are different people groups, right? You have uh, Georgians on the west side, or not the west side, to the south side over there. You've got Russians ethnically. You've got um, people from Moldova. You've got Ukrainians, and you've got all this mishmash, and then you've got these lines around it. Uh, it's a big deal, right? In Bosnia, Herzegovina, you had Serbs, you had, you had Muslims, you had Christians, and these, it didn't matter what the lines were. Those cultures, those nations were murdering each other, you know, 20, 25 years ago and, uh, and, doing, and doing atrocities like World War II. And so people kind of forget about that, but that wasn't very long ago. I was, I was actually in Romania, and there were still bombs landing, stray bombs flying over and hitting, uh, hitting Romania when we were there. And so, uh, and so the command is to teach all nations, all people groups, and this is the this is this is like the institutionalized Christian <clears throat> um, 
they have a hard time leaving their Christian culture to reach out to people who are not like themselves. And I'd like to talk about everybody else, but I'm talking about us. I mean, I know we're, we're cool, aren't we? No, we're not. But anyway, uh, but, you know, we, we, we have our own little culture. And, and ever since the beginning of this church, I've always been like, guys, we have to be careful not to circle the wagons, right? Like we're out here on the Western Plains and we're afraid of the Indians coming in and taking us over. Uh, we, do not, we do not circle the wagons. We, we, we go forward. We go into the battle. We go into the fate. We attack. We don't retreat. There's no armor on our back. You read Ephesians chapter 6, we are a forward-facing people. You turn your back on the battle, you're going to get shot. You're not covered back there. You have to face forward into the battle. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's not a time to circle up. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, even like with COVID, I just was at a pastor's meeting and a lot of people lamenting over COVID this and COVID that. And, and, and it was hard on our churches. But you know what? You guys, you just kept going forward. Adult Bible fellowships went forward. Discipleship went forward. We just, we just went forward because that's the only thing we're called to do. We weren't called to stop. We're not called to not assemble together on the first day of the week. We're called to do those things, so we do what we're told. We do what we, we, we have to do what we're called to do. And so it's great to sing, I'm proud to be an American, as long as you're actually not too proud, and uh, contend with the Great Commission. Right? Uh, I love Lee Greenwood, but listen, Lee Greenwood, if you're not getting the gospel where it needs to go, you're not in God's will. Right? And so the thing that drew God to Antioch are the things that repulsed Many of the believers, that's point number two, that repulsed many of the believers in Jerusalem. And so Antioch was the third largest city in the world at that time with an estimated population of 500,000 people, which that's a pretty big city even by today's standards. Kansas City proper is 500,000. Now the metro is over 2 million. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But, but only Rome and Alexandria, Egypt were larger cities than Antioch at that time. So it was known for its opulent culture, its economic significance to Rome, and the citizens of Antioch worshipped Ashtaroth and were incredibly immoral and indecent in their worship of this fertility goddess. If you know much about fertility goddesses and all that goes on in those cultures, uh, it's not pretty. And that was just the, the right manure, right? That was just the right dung for God to put the gospel seed in and have a revival. It's not the place a Jew would have chose for sure. As a matter of fact, they were like Jonah, like, you know, dropped the fire and brimstone on that place. But yet God had changed their heart, and they sent forth Barnabas. They recognized after hearing from Peter that, you know what, we need to get on board with this. So they sent Barnabas, the son of consolation, and he goes, and if you look at the text I read, you know what he did? The Bible says he added to the church. When we, when we lead people to Christ, we add to the church. Evangelism is adding to the church. When we get to the end of the chapter, you'll notice the disciples gave from the church. There was a maturation process that happens in Acts chapter 11. Barnabas added, and then Paul comes in, and all of a sudden, they start discipling, right? God used different vessels to do different things to both bring evangelism and discipleship because they are one and the same. If you don't have discipleship going on in your life, then evangelism, is you're, you're not going to reproduce fruit that remains and reproduces fruit that remains. It's, the, it's like having children and not raising them, right? You can make a baby, but that doesn't mean you can parent it. Right? You've got to have maturation to be a parent. You've got to be a mature human, emotionally mature, uh, physically mature, to raise up another human. That's the way God designed it. And so, and so you have to grow in Christ so that you can take care of the responsibility of the church and the gospel. So you should have been in Jerusalem when Peter said the Gentiles were able to be saved 
without keeping the Hebrew laws and statutes. I mean, that, that did not go over very well at first. I mean, they had to call a special prayer meeting to pray for Brother Peter. Uh, and, and he was caught eating with the Gentiles. I mean, uh-oh. No respectable leader of the great church of Jerusalem would be caught eating at Cornelius' house. I mean, what is wrong with him? Why in the world was Peter going liberal? I mean, he, got, he, he, he drank all the progressive tea that day. I mean, he was a mess. I heard that he had some, some of the Italian pork sausage. Did you hear that? I mean, he even tried some pizza. And that wasn't kosher goat cheese. No respectable leader should be there. Why was Peter going this way? I heard that, that he had a dream and a vision that told him that it was all right to turn his back on the Jewish roots from, and, and reach these dogs. We talked about dogs last week. Why, I can't believe he would even step foot in their home. He probably had too much wine. He's a wine bibber. That must be it. Peter, he's tipping the bottle. He's a drunk. We need to get rid of this guy. Let's take a vote. It didn't, fortunately, they, it didn't go down quite that bad. But I bet that kind of thing was going on. That goes on even today. I had a friend of mine that says, you know what? We're going to make disciples in this church. And the deacon said, no, you're not. He's like, oh, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, this is the mission. You know what they did? Look at the Constitution and look who's responsible for this. We are, so you're out. And they got rid of him. They didn't like him doing something that the Bible told him to do, commanded him to do. So they got rid of him. So while the Jewish brothers were back in Jerusalem calling special business meetings to decide if, if go means go and all nations means all nations, Peter had the right to follow the leading of the Spirit of God, and God was busy preparing others to go in their stead. Whether they were going to go or not, God was preparing other people to go. One of the guys that he was preparing was persecuting the church to start with. It was Paul. you got to go back to Acts chapter 9 to find that fellow. But you see his handiwork in Acts chapter 11 because the persecution that was under his initial leadership had caused the Jews to scatter all over the place because God wanted to expand the borders of the gospel to other people groups, one way or the, or the other. One way or the other. Point three, real Christians remember the principle of the prepared saint and the prepared sinner. You remember that from last week? Prepared saint, prepared sinner. Last week we saw how God worked in Peter's life to minister to the Gentiles. As Peter was praying, God revealed to him in a vision not to call that which is clean, unclean. And he showed him that his death, burial, and resurrection had fulfilled the law, so the gospel was now accessible to the Gentiles. Peter showed the hospitality to those he would have otherwise rejected. And he left his home and his comfort to travel to them and preach the gospel, which they had readily and willingly received by faith upon hearing the gospel and the preaching. If you go back and read chapter uh, chapter 10. And as we leave chapter 10 and enter chapter 11, you would think that the Jews back in Jerusalem would have been ecstatic that the Great Commission was being fulfilled. But instead, they were upset because Peter had broken the traditions of the Jews and eaten with the heathen. And in doing this, they demonstrated their ignorance of God's will and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what should Peter have done? You know, take out an Uzi and just mow him down? No, that's of course not what he should have done. Because real Christians should expect to be shot from both sides, point four. He knew what was coming. (laughs) Peter had been around long enough. It wasn't too long ago that he was telling everybody he didn't know who Jesus was. Right? He knows how this goes because, well, he's one of them. Right? He knows, he knows how this culture works. He wasn't surprised at all. So, so real Christians, you know what? They, they understand human nature. 
Peter didn't receive a warm reception or an attaboy upon returning to Jerusalem. Uh, Pat Tillman was a football player in the, for the Arizona Cardinals, and he left his, his prosperous football career in the NFL. He enlisted to serve the United States military, and he ended up in the Army in 2002. He was deployed with the 2nd Ranger Battalion in Spira, Afghanistan. It's right on the border of Pakistan, or Pakistan. And, and when the news arrived that he had been killed, he instantly became a war hero. Some of you may have remembered that. And that was all good, and it was actually all appropriate as well. But shortly after that, not too quickly, but after a while, it came to pass that the details of his death were revealed. And you know what they were by? Yeah, it was friendly fire, wasn't it? Friendly fire. He got shot by his own. What a tragic loss. He wasn't killed by the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. He was killed by his own men. You know, that's common, and, and it is actually common in, in war, unfortunately. Beloved, there's a spiritual war going on. And people love, especially in the church, love to take pot shots at the church itself. I get a little irritated with that, but I'm not going to let you know how I really feel. Um, <clears throat> I'm serious, because <laughs> so, it really angers me. I get sick and tired of, of people taking pot shots at the bride of Christ. And they always do it for the same reasons, to justify their own power trip or their own decisions or whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't matter, man. This is the, the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. If you want to go over here and pick on my wife, guess what? You've got a problem with me. That's how it works, right? Jesus loves his church. Man, you don't pick on the church. Paul learned that the hard way. He found himself face, face down on the road to Damascus, right, going, Lord, what do you need? He's like, hey, Paul, I'm tired of this. You keep persecuting me. Well, did, 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 did Paul go through the second heaven, arrive at the throne of God and pick on Jesus? Of course not. When he said you're persecuting me, who, who was he persecuting? The church, the saints. God loves the saints. Peter's very wise in how he handles this because he knows he's not far from being just like these Jews. And he, he didn't understand until God personally gave him a vision. And so he, uh, he is wise enough to say, you know what? I, people don't know what they don't know. So let me tell you what happened. And I'm not going to read all the text for time's sake, but he gives them a download on what happened. So don't be surprised. Before I jump into that, Peter, like Paul, would follow him. He would have as much or more... Uh, they, those, both of those guys would have as much or more live fire from their family and friends than they would ever have from the Romans or the Gentile world. Don't be surprised when your spiritual family members don't share your zeal to obey, the, obey God and take the gospel where it needs to go on time. This is one of the things that, you know, we get up here and we, and, uh, we dedicate the children and all of that, and we ought. I've thought about these things. I'm a parent. You know, and then you think, well, what if, what if Samuel raises his hand and says, hey, Dad, I want to go to a difficult place? You know, we just had this discussion just last night, as a matter of fact, about mission trips, and is he old enough to go without me and all of those things? And, uh, you know, there's a time where you just got to let go and trust God with your child. You know, and uh, you got to say, man, would to God, God would call some of our children to go to difficult places. You get up here and you preach about going forward into the face of battle and you go, hey, does anybody want to sign up to go to difficult places? You say you want to give your child to the Lord. And by the way, we should and we should dedicate our lives to that. But don't. But listen, beloved, don't hold back on God. This world needs more preachers, more missionaries. We need them. We need them. 
God's calling all men everywhere to repent, but he's also calling Christians to serve. Now, you don't have to be a missionary or a pastor, but my goodness, I hope we have some. We need more. There's a lot of people that need to be discipled. There's a lot of churches that need to be planted. There's a lot of, there's a, we need to fill up our HBI tank. We need to continue to build leadership at the highest levels. And so it's important that, that we understand that this mission, it could cost you. If you minister to those in the jail, there'll be Christians who say, well, you know, why do you go there and minister to those criminals? They're not worth your time. Hey, man, I'm not worth Jesus' time. I go there because God sent me there. Go. Go. You can't worry about what everybody thinks. Go. Why do you go down to a mission, right? I used to preach it. I spent a decade of my life pressing against a rock that wasn't moving very far. Why did I do that? What well, was good for me, number one, but number two is also showed me, man, God's grace. His hand is not short that it cannot save. There's not a guy at the City Union Mission that hasn't heard two messages a day, 365 if they're there, about the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness. If they die and go to hell, they're going to, Jesus is going to roll out the list of how many times he offered his grace. You go because God tells you to go, and you go where God tells you to go. It's not even based on the results. You go because you're called to go. Peter went because God told him to go. It wasn't because he was comfortable. <clears throat> if you minister to those who are, who are in a foreign culture, you will have, to, you will have those that say, what? you know what? what, why would you be using hard-earned U.S. dollars to minister to those on a foreign country? I mean, don't we have enough problems here? Can't we? We need to reach our own country. Well, do we need to reach our own country? Amen. I would lay odds in this congregation right now, if, if we had to reach, the, like literally send a representative to reach the world, I don't think we would have 200 people stand up and go. I think we could probably, maybe we would, have, if we got two, we'd be doing really good. And the, other, uh, and the other 198 could hold it down right here in Cass County, right? So we're not talking about everybody picking up and leaving, unless persecution comes. I bet there's a lot of missionaries coming out of Ukraine right now. They're spreading out all over that region of Europe because of the persecution. Be praying for them. May God bless them. And they're rubbing up with, and there's some lost people rubbing up with Christians that they wouldn't otherwise rub up against. And we know some of those folks personally. So God will do a Romans 8, 28 on that because it's ultimately his will that all people get saved, right? And then he wants real Christians to connect with them and be Christ-like. So why are we using these hard-earned dollars to go to a foreign country? Anybody getting uncomfortable yet? I mean, these people don't dress like us. They don't talk like us. They don't smell like us. I mean, why, do, why would we spend our money on that? Let's spend it on us, because that's gracious. All the while, HBF, for instance, spends 80% or more of its earnings, so to speak, what God blesses HBF, we spend it on us. We don't spend over 20% going around the world. We do spend it on us. And God's not mad about that. I mean, that's, we, we are here to reach America. We're here to reach the heart of America. We're here to reach Cass County. I'm all about it. I'm not backing off on Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the uttermost. So why do we invest money to print Bibles and take missions trips all over the planet? Well, why would we do that? I'll give you two letters, G and O. Go. Go. And I, by the way, I want to commend you because I'm really preaching in the choir. I know 
if you've been here any length of time, you guys are in, you're all in, you understand who we are and what we are. But in essence, if, if you just are a guest here, you're like, what is Heartland all about? You just heard it. We're about that. The Great Commission. Accomplishing the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. By the grace of God. And we do that by equipping the saints of God. All right, so point five. Real Christians are patient with those who say no. Wait a minute. You were just saying go, but you know what? Some people will still, still say no because they need to grow. So real Christians are patient with those who say no and need to grow. Not everybody is zealous for God's will when they get saved. They don't even always understand it or know it. So you, if you have perfect knowledge of God's will, need to be gracious and kind because not everybody gets it right off the bat. Peter didn't berate those folks in Jerusalem. He didn't he didn't start a campaign. He didn't get on Twitter and go, oh, can't believe it. Get, say some snarky comment, make fun of everybody, right? He chilled out and he's like, oh, well, let me explain to you what happened. Let me share my testimony. You know, about one of the most powerful ways to persuade somebody of anything about what God is doing is to simply share the reality, reality, the authenticity of what really God is doing in your life. It's amazing. Just tell them what God's doing. And Peter does that. Now, they, they still were a little uncomfortable with it, but they were like, oh, well, I'm glad you said something, Peter. Well, by all means then, let's reach the Gentiles. And they came around. Peter took the time to set forth what God was doing in his life and the life of the Gentiles in order. Now, I'm going to have you look at the text. We're not going to read it, but he starts in verse 4 of Acts chapter 11, and it says, but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them saying and then he gets into i was in the city of joppa praying it's the same story we talked about last week he re, he reiterates what you see in chapter 10 when the lord revealed to him his need to go to the gentiles and how not just what god told him to do how god told him to do it by the way if you do come to myself or pastor randy or your abf pastor and you say hey man god's calling me to go to wherever we're going to need you to expound in order how did god per se, call you to do that. And I'm not, I mean, just tell us, how's he working in your life to get you there? Because we need to hear that. We need to know that. Because we want to prepare you to go where God's called you. Because just because he's called you doesn't mean you're prepared. Peter was a prepared sinner, a saint, and there was a prepared sinner ready. Some of us, what God's calling us to do right now, is you don't need to worry about going to, to some foreign land. You don't have to worry about even you know, going to some crazy country. You just got to get prepared to go across the street and talk to your neighbor or go to work and talk to a friend or go to school and talk to somebody. That's where God's got you. Don't worry about what you don't know. Worry about what you do know. Concern yourself with where God's calling you to go today. And if you're faithful with that, he'll give you more later. If God would have told me the day I got saved, oh, by the way, Brian, you're going to go do this and that and you're going to plan it. I would have been overwhelmed. I mean, I was, I, was, I was not equipped to handle all of that. There's a growth process, and that's what discipleship is all about. The first day Peter met Jesus, he wasn't prepared to do what he's doing in Acts chapter 11. But you know what? It's a step of, of faith. Each step of the way, you just trust the Lord. You know what? The nation of Israel wasn't really prepared to go to the Gentiles, but God brought a man like Peter to kind of explain to them what's going on in order so that they could begin to understand it and to grow in God's will. Peter was gracious like that. He was patient with those who would say no because they need to grow. And so Peter, he concluded that, that dissertation there, and, 
And, he, and they all held their tongue, by the way, and they listened to him. When Sometimes when somebody's going to go and do something, you're maybe not on board with it at first. Just, just lay back and listen. See what they're saying. Maybe the Lord is in it. And maybe he's not, but just listen. Peter concluded, and they held their tongues and acknowledged that just as Jesus had promised eternal life to them, it, also, it is also going to the Gentiles through the gospel. In Acts 11, check it out in verse 15. He says, And as, they began, as, he began, as I began to speak, Peter recounting uh, his preaching in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost fell on them as was at the beginning. And he's saying as at the beginning, like Acts chapter 2, uh, without baptism, I might add. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much as, as then as God gave them the, the like gift as he did us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. All they had to do to get the gospel was repent. They just had to change their heart and their mind and believe the message, and boom, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt them. Same way Brian Hedges got saved, March 25th, 1987. I am 30, what am I, 35 years old in the Lord as of this week. So you thought I was only 51, two, going on two. I'm 35. So when I get, if the rapture happens tomorrow, I'll go back a couple years. That's cool. All right. So, uh, and, so, uh, and so that's what's going on with Peter. And, and number six, crossing cultural boundaries can test your relationships. When was the last time you took the risk of talking to somebody about Christ who was not already a Christian? I mean, you got out of your comfort zone and you went ahead and you talked to that person that you just, you just, you're pretty sure is not saved. You didn't talk to somebody that was Jesus friendly. Hey, there's more and more people that are less Jesus friendly all the time. So you can find them if you want. Go find one. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone who does not share the same background as you? You know, really scary. I remember when when I was a young baby Christian, I was up at the Arrowhead at the at the uh, Pink Floyd concert. Nineteen eighty. Anybody at Pink Floyd? Nineteen eighty seven. I probably gave you a gospel track, man. You remember the guys out front handing out tracks? That was me. It was a great day. And so I was scared to death. And right off the bat, this guy comes, the security team comes with, with batons and everything to get us off the property. And then uh, somebody interceded for us, and they let us stay. And so it was a wild night, not because of what was going on in Arrowhead, but, uh, but because of what was going on out in the sidewalk. You know, I was like totally, totally, totally out of my comfort zone. But it's like swimming, man. If you've ever, if you ever like when you're going to go swimming, you're like, oh, I don't know how that water's going to feel. You know, you're kind of concerned about it. Put your toe in. Oh. But then once you jump in, you're in. You're all in. That's how, that's how it often is with the gospel. So I'm out there and I've jumped in. I mean, I'm sitting in limos witnessing to people. I'm standing, I'm getting rejected. I'm having people want to spit on me, growling at me. I'm like, that guy, I'm like, ooh. This guy's 30 years ahead of his time. And so, uh, I mean, you got, all this, you got all this stuff going on. But you know what I remember the most about all of that? You know, it was blew me away. Everybody that looked like me was hard as a rock. They were rude, obnoxious, snippy. You know, all the rejection you want. Just put a mirror up. These guys that look like you, these gals that come from your background from the suburbs... Man, they don't want the gospel. And the very last, the concert's going, boom, boom, you know. 
you got the, the beat. No, that's a current beat. That's more of a, a, a hip-hop beat. But it's the old, it's the old uh, Pink Floyd beat, whatever beat they were throwing down. <laughs> another brick against the wall or whatever. I don't know, another brick in the wall. So they got the beat going or whatever's going on in Arrowhead. And this biker dude rolls out of the parking lot. And nobody's around, and it's about time to go home. Because everybody's now in the concert. Lights are going. Music's going. And this gnarly dude walks up. And he looked, he looked like a real biker. He wasn't like a wannabe biker, like a real biker. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And, uh, and I'm, it's just, for whatever reason, I'm kind of isolated out here and by myself. And I'm like, okay, here it goes. And I go, and I, I don't remember what I said, but I offered him a track. And, you know, the, that night I learned one of the most valuable lessons of the, of the whole experience, probably for a time such as this. That was the nicest gentleman I met the whole night. And if you'd have put his picture up on the wall and said, okay, you're going to go out to Arrowhead, who are you going to have trouble with? I guarantee you that fellow, I was literally like, I ain't scared of nobody, but that guy scared me, right? I mean, I'm like, this dude is tough looking, for real. Not tough looking because he wants to look tough. This guy really looks tough. And I'm sure he was. But when I was, I, when I was kind and I offered him a gospel track, he stops. He talks, he looks at me in the eyes says, thanks, I appreciate that. You know, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was kind. The kindest man I met all night looked like the scariest human out there I met all night. God showed me something. He's like, man, Brian, you need to make sure you're not afraid to cross boundaries. I didn't know I was, the, the tank that I was swimming in on a daily basis was the one with all the sharks. Man, I, sh- I, need to go to the- I need to go down here to the biker bar, man. Let's go down the tool shed. I think that's where the action's at. Probably is. You get my point, though. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone who does not share your same background? When was the last time you risked a relationship by bringing Christ up in a conversation? You know that awkward situation. When you know and they finally know that they know that you really know Jesus. <laughs> this may end the relationship right now. All of a sudden, they start doing the moonwalk, right? And they're just like, oh, you're one of those. You know, real Christians understand the call to cross-cultural boundaries is a command, not a suggestion. Just flip back to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Acts 8, 1. The Bible says here, Now Saul, who will become Paul, the persecution that's mentioned in Acts chapter 11 uh, is commencing right here in Acts chapter 8. Saul was consenting unto his death, his death being the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Everybody's fleeing. The apostles are standing. They're staying. Point two, or verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering in every house and hailing men and women, committing, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. You see, it didn't matter what the circumstances were. Everybody did what they were supposed to do in spite of the circumstances. 
real Christians understand the call to cross cultural the call to cross the call to cross cultural boundaries is a command and not a suggestion. The church at Jerusalem quickly became racially segregated instead of supernaturally integrated into the family of God. Pastors and churches that forget they are a living organism and focus too much on being a business-like organization, which I'm all about being organized, will soon be less and less willing to go beyond their comfort zone, even when it means God will move, move on without them. Man, I don't want God to... Anybody want God to pass us on by? Remember that old hymn, Pass Me Not By, my gentle Savior? Don't pass by. Stay here, man. Stay here with us. Keep working through us. If you want God to keep working through you individually and as a church, you better be committed to his mission. It'll solve a whole lot of your problems, especially in this culture. It'll help you see things clearly. It'll help you be focused on things that are eternal instead of things that aren't going to last. The church of Jerusalem was becoming segregated, but you know what? God was making it integrated through the persecution as he sent these folks out and they preached the gospel. They were scattered and they preached. We gather to scatter. That's what we do on Sundays. Pastors and churches that forget that get into trouble. So it is, it is into this tension that God called Philip to Samaria to preach the, to those half-breed Samaritans who, reached, who uh, received the gospel. Then he was called out of a revival in Jerusalem to go down to, to the desert to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. And God is working to, to diversify the, the people and get the gospel where it needs to go. Point eight, if we refuse to leave our comfort zone and reach out to other cultures, God will find someone else who will be obedient to his command. He'll find somebody else. He'll just keep moving. Do you want that to happen? I didn't get very far today, did I? So I'm going to stop right there. And we'll chew on that for a minute. <clears throat> because I'm out of time. But I think you get the point. And next week when we come back, we'll talk about the practicality of crossing physical boundaries, and we'll pick up those other, other two points next week. But the, let's go ahead and do this. Let's just have a word of prayer. Let's stand where we are.